Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's time to read a user post, which is quite fascinating. I'll keep it anonymous, and I think it is. But it's entitled, My Sister the Communist Easter Bunny. We like to, as many uh, times as possible to unite socialism and religion. And uh, blasphemy uh, to both Marx and Jesus together. He writes, All too many people today expect to be treated fairly. They also expect that some central power or authority figure should oversee and implement this fairness or, quote, justice. For some of us, for some of us, this may be an occasional passing thought. We may feel slighted over some situation and, quote, wish we were treated more fairly in certain situations. But for others, it is an all-encompassing obsession. What drives people to not only expect fairness, but to expect a power or authority to administer fairness across the board on a variety of issues? And what can be said about ramifications of this mindset on others when people who hold these beliefs act in society? It is my contention that oftentimes people who expect fairness, quote, were raised in situations where they were not treated, quote, fairly in childhood. There's no uh, shortage of quotes here. Some of us grow out of this expectation of deserving fairness, and others of us do not. Some of us have, perverse, have a perverse psychological need to extrapolate this feeling that everyone needs to be treated fairly into the realm of politics. My younger sister is one such person. You see, my parents were not the most responsible or well-balanced and did not have a good system set up to parent us when we were children. We all suffered in our own ways because of this, but one such example of how my sister's, quote, scarring for being unfairly treated evidence itself uh, each Easter. I'm the oldest of three children and male. I have two younger sisters, three and five years younger, respectively. My Easter's as a child were quite fun. We had Easter egg hunts where my parents hid copious amounts of candy, eggs, and other sugary treats. We would all gather around in a room or two where my parents hid a bunch of candy and have our annual Easter egg hunt. The rules were pretty simple. If you find it, you keep it. Those were the rules laid down by my parents, and they were fine by me, especially since I was the oldest and fastest. I had the advantage in this, quote, hunt. I was also a bit sharper than at least my younger sister, as I had five years on her. When I was ten, she was only five. Not much, quote, competition. LOL. Uh, lots of laugh for those over 40. My game plan was simple. Get as much candy as humanly possible so I could enjoy it. This was the same plan my sisters had, but I clearly had the advantage. That was then and this is now. Listening to my younger sister recount her childhood Easter experiences, it is clear she carries resentments to this day. She tells the same story to her husband in my presence every family Easter, how I would get all the candy, how my mother would try to help her by trying to coach her since she was the youngest, pointing out places where there was candy hiding in efforts to help her find a closer to equal share, and how I still got more than her. You see, it did not take me long to realize my mother was coaching my sister like this, so while frantically looking for eggs myself... I would keep an eye peeled on my mother's face, watching as she would try to discreetly give my sister hints as to where the eggs were hidden by directing her eyes to a certain location or by pointing. So while I was scouring the room for my candy, I would watch my mom, and soon, uh, and as soon as she would signal my sister, it would be a race between me and her to get the candy my mom was signaling to her. This apparently has scarred my sister for life. Now it is the same thing every Easter. She is in charge of the Easter egg hunts held at my mother's house every year for her and my sister's children. She has appointed herself to, um, to this role and exerts considerable effort to oversee the process. She gets plastic eggs of four different colors, and each of the four children get the same exact amount of plastic eggs. Each color group gets the exact same amount of candy put in them and the exact same amount of change put in them. No one is allowed to, quote, find any egg except their color. The first year my sister did this and told the story of her horror as a child being cheated of her, quote, fair share of candy and having 
a disappointing and frustrating experience. I thought she was joking. I honestly did not remember any of this, but she clearly did. I was kidding with her, telling her husband, yes, she would find candy and I would grab it out of her hand, exclaiming, quote, it doesn't count as being found until you put it in your Easter basket, as I swiftly grabbed it out of her hand and claimed it as my own. But you see, this was not amusing and funny to her, strangely. Not, that was my strangely, not in the least. She remains obsessed with administering and overseeing justice for the children in a communist fashion. This is one person... This is one personal situation I am aware of that drives my sister to be hell-bent on doing everything she can possibly do to, quote, administer fairness. It is not about the children's needs. It is about her needs. Her need to, quote, administer the justice that she was denied in her childhood. But something is lost as well. It's not fun for the children. They don't rush around anxiously trying to find the eggs. Yeah, because it was fun for your sister. It is not a race. They all know that they have as long as they would like to take because my sister has laid down the rules and watches over the whole process. She knows exactly how many eggs there are. She tries to, quote, make it fun for the youngest by putting excited exclamations into her, I think there's one over there, quick, to the young one, in efforts to get her to run excitedly towards the egg, but it doesn't work. There is no excitement and no fun in the hunt. It dawned on me recently that if my sister were a government official, this attitude could become pervasive in her, quote, administration of justice. Do you know any communist Easter bunnies? Well, that's a very, very fascinating post. There's a lot to be said about it. Um, and I would like to thank this gentleman for posting. Uh, I hugely appreciate it. That's the kind of stuff that can teach an enormous amount to an enormous number of people. Uh, just power settings. We're all set. <clears throat> so uh, thank you. Now, let me start off with the politics, because it is, of course, this gentleman's quite right. It is quite fascinating to see the degree to which, as I've always sort of maintained, uh, the state is a superset or a causal result of the family. And if you want to look at why uh, societies are the way they are, then you need to look at family situations. And from there, you can figure out uh, where it is that uh, uh, the sort of impetus and the emotional resonance of st certain state edicts come from. Now, in this role, there's also a very interesting thing as well, of course. So early memories of injustice provoke a claustrophobic need for creating exact equality uh, later on. And, of course, that's scar tissue. And the gentleman, of course, as we all are, I mean, I'm not pointing any fingers, we're all this way, the gentleman can so easily see the scar tissue in, um, uh, in, himself, in, in his sister, right? And, and he can see all of the foolishness that results from his sister's uh, scar tissue and, uh, more precisely, her lack of processing of her scar tissue but, again, like all of us, he has a great deal of difficulty seeing how his own scar tissue uh, causes uh, the result of his own scar tissue that he's blind to, which is revealed in a number of uh, ways in the letter. So uh, the other thing that's quite fascinating from a political standpoint, and we've talked about this in this show before, is that whenever you set up a regulatory agency designed to um, uh, correct the injustices of an unequal situation. So when this uh, boy was 10 and his sister was 5, he would get all the candy, and uh, sometimes he would snatch the candy out of her uh, hand. I don't think he was kidding there, because he had a pretty detailed explanation. Oh, and the rules that the elder siblings make up. Well, it doesn't count until this, and it doesn't count until that, and all the arbitrary self-serving rules. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that, well, well, we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> But um, he, uh, the regulatory agency that is set up when he's a kid to help his sister 
to get more candy, which is the mom pointing out where the candy is, is uh, very swiftly. And, you know, if a 10-year-old can do it, then for sure advanced capitalist uh, meatballs can do it. Then uh, he all he does is he watches his mom to find out um, where the mom is pointing so that in the mom's effort to help his daughter, she actually helps him more, right? And this, of course, is everything that happens with state redistribution programs, even well-meaning ones, is that um, uh, they end up providing many more signals to those that they're trying to level the competition with regards to than the people with whom... Oh, my God, what a horrible sentence. <laughs> Let me start that again, if you don't mind. Um, they get co-opted, right? The state ed regulatory agencies get co-opted by those with the most power. And so even well-meaning ones end up helping those with the most power a lot more than those with the less power. So if a 10-year-old kid can very easily and quickly figure out that his mom is uh, pointing out where the candy is with the hopes of equalizing the balance of candy between himself and his sister, uh, he can, um, uh, if a 10-year-old can figure that out and use it to his advantage and end up getting more candy because of the intervention of the authority figure, imagine what capitalists do when uh, governments get powers to uh, shift around money, uh, billions of dollars in the economy and force people to do X, Y, and Z. Who do you think is going to end up with the more power? The people that the... Um, the government is sort of, quote, trying to help, or the people that they're trying to uh, um, not help or to uh, diminish the power of. So there's a lot of wonderfully instructive things in this, um, uh, in this post. The other thing that is quite fascinating, of course, is that there is a very, very complicated uh, set of uh, emotions going on uh, with this gentleman with regards to his past behavior. There is, uh, which we can talk about in a second, but uh, one of the things that, uh, that is, is definitely occurring in this, uh, in this area is that there is a sort of clever kind of cunning in the way that he portrays. And again, there's no disrespect meant, right? We all have these habits. But when he talks about his sister's statist tendencies... Right, his sister's statist tendencies. He um, he doesn't view his own statist tendencies, right? So uh, he says, "Well, she's communist, you see. So she's now dictatorial, and it all comes out of uh, uh, of her childhood." But he doesn't realize, of course, that by uh, not having a level playing field, he's not exactly a capitalist, right? <laughs> I mean, he says, well, she's a communist because, um, uh, you know, this, uh, she experienced this, quote, injustice. Or always has to use the quotes, right? He can't recognize it as a real injustice, which, of course, it was, though not primarily his, but the parents. He says, well, she's then become this, this uh, socialist, communist chick because blah, 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 blah. Whereas uh, uh, I, I assume, because he's on Freedom Aid Radio, he considers himself a capitalist. Well, let me tell you something a little bit about capitalism that might help you understand how you and your sister are not exactly playing two opposite sides of the statist fence. Uh, capitalism requires the equal use of law. It, it, sorry, uh, capitalism requires uh, absolute property rights, and also generally uh, capitalism would be highly unlikely to enter, say, a 10-year-old boy into the world heavyweight fighting championships of the planet uh, because Mike Tyson would turn a 10-year-old boy into a fine kind of minced pate. And so 
the uh, the level playing field is fairly important, right? I mean, uh, in the Olympics, you don't have as a downhill skier um, a whole bunch of people who are really great and have practiced for ten or fifteen or twenty years, and then some guy uh, you just blindfolded and uh, you know tied strapped to some skis and threw down the slope, right? So uh, competition requires at least equality of opportunity. So that when you compete with someone, they're not crippled, right? Like a whole lot of uh, a whole load of us don't necessarily judge our own intelligence uh, relative to somebody with an IQ of say 70, or they don't, we don't judge our own sort of athleticism necessarily relative to a guy in a coma. So when it comes to uh, capitalism, the uh, <clears throat> sort of universal uh, rules which DROs would uh, work out sort of as a minimum. The, the universality of property rights and so on give people sort of an equal opportunity to compete. Where competition doesn't occur is when somebody has a vastly disproportionate level of, um, uh, of force or power or capacity relative to everybody else. And I don't count an enormous amount of inherited capital in this realm. <clears throat> inherited capital doesn't make you smarter. And it's, of course, if you're not that smart and you try and be a businessman, if you've got a lot of inherited capital much like the Eaton Boys up here in Canada, E-A-T-O-N, you will end up dispersing all of that lovely capital to people who can do a whole lot more good with it than you can, so that doesn't really usually last as long as you, as you might think. What do they say? Rags to riches to rags in three generations. That's uh, quite often the case. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So he's complaining, of course, about uh, his sister's uh, desire for, for justice, and then her reaction formation to it being a kind of claustrophobic communism or socialism. But he doesn't recognize that uh, in the realm of uh, their childhood, he was an arbitrary and dictatorial state, right? Because uh, he had a disproportionate amount of speed and, and smarts and strength, and so could snatch the candy from her hand in obviously a brute force kind of manner. And let's not kid ourselves about a 10-year-old boy with a 5-year-old girl. Uh, it is a brute force uh, situation, and the uh, five-year-old girl has absolutely no capacity to pry open the ten-year-old uh, boy's hands uh, to get to get the stuff back, uh, or to uh, to do anything else to physically re retaliate against such a kind of snatching. So obviously, uh, he's making up rules. He's uh, grabbing whatever he can. He's refusing to share. He's re refusing to be generous and kind and benevolent. You know, he's um. <clears throat> He's uh, teaching his uh, youngest uh, daughter, his, sorry, his youngest uh, sister, that the world is full of you know predatory uh, jerks who will just grab everything they can uh, and dance around you in triumph and snatch things from your hand, uh, which is really a heartbreaking lesson for a little girl or a little boy to learn, right? That's a pretty heartbreaking lesson, especially when it's your own uh, brother who, you know, one could say that a situation that would give him a whole lot more pleasure then a fistful of candy would be to uh, take his uh, sister by the hand and to lead her around and to share in her joy of finding the candy and also to, um, uh, to, uh, to receive the love uh, and the trust and the, uh, the joy and the gratitude and the uh, empathy and the warmth and the sympathy and all of that that comes from uh, helping somebody who is uh, almost infinitely less powerful uh, than yourself, right? To to reach down and help those who are helpless is a wonderful and beautiful feeling. And 
it could be argued, I would certainly argue it, <laughs> that that um, the pleasure and sugar high and dizziness and crash uh, and potential for diabetes <laughs> that occurs with a big bag of candy <clears throat> for a 10-year-old is a certain kind of pleasure and that the pleasure of um, saying to, um, uh, you know, taking a, uh, uh, a cooperative state in a situation where um, you are uh, vastly disparate in strength, the taking a cooperative standpoint and using your strength in a benevolent and helpful manner would be far more satisfying, right? I mean, the, the joys of the candy are many years past. The harm to the relationship remain for the rest of, uh, of your life, right? So uh, it's not beyond the capacity of a 10-year-old who is smart uh, and perceptive, as we can see that this gentleman was when he was 10, because he's able to see his mom and figure out that his mom is trying to help his sister by pointing out where the candy is, which allows him to go and snatch the candy and so on, right? So he's obviously a cunning and smart fellow, but uh, he, uh, he prefers... Uh, at, at, at a very surface level, we would say that he prefers the uh, instant uh, sugar high of the candy rather than the deep, rich, and soulful pleasures of helping uh, and supporting and uh, inculcating trust in uh, somebody who's uh, young of years, tender of heart, uh, sensitive of nature, and helpless in body. Uh, so this really is like, uh, if you uh, can, can imagine how uh, this, uh, this looks, to somebody on the outside, and I'm, this is for this gentleman in particular, who's obviously having a certain amount of difficulty uh, finding empathy for uh, either himself or his sister in this situation. Uh, primarily, you need to find empathy for yourself. But this is kind of how it looks for me, um, that uh, you are an excellent sprinter, and uh, there's a guy uh, on crutches. And you are uh, trying to, uh, uh, every, every single time there's a guy, um, uh, you have a race, right? So you keep having these races. And every single time, not only do you sprint like crazy uh, and dance around in the end zone th thinking you're the fastest runner in the world and what a great athlete you are, but you also uh, trip up uh, the, uh, uh, your competitor, right, the guy in crutches, and you half-saw through his crutches so they break halfway through, and then you taunt him. Uh, for being uh, a weakling, right? So uh, this is sort of how it looks from the outside, which leads me to believe, and this is not a, a pleasant thing to say, so I do apologize for it in advance, and of course it may not be true, it's just my, my thought, that uh, the primary pleasure that you had in this interaction with your sister was not in the candy, but was rather in the, um, the destruction of her trust and joy and capacity for... Um, uh, feeling uh, uh, efficacious, uh, powerful, uh, confident, uh, competent, and so on, right? So your particular desire was a little bit more on the sadistic side and that you didn't enjoy so much getting the candy uh, or even taking the candy from your sister, but you enjoyed and relished in a fairly unholy kind of way the resulting uh, tears of frustration and rage that your sister uh, experienced when this occurred. And there's, there's many, many reasons for which I have an enormous amount of sympathy. There are many, many reasons for which you would want that ugly exercise of power over a helpless human being, a helpless child. Now, you were a child, too. And again, this is like uh, all uh, with, with due sympathy and we'll get to your parents in a moment, which we know almost nothing about other than the effects on their children of their parenting, which we can see 
not only as children in your dis uh, excuse me in your discussions of yourself as children but as your uh, with your interactions as adults as well so the reasons that you would need or would be addicted to the kind of uh, pathetic and destructive rush that comes from literally snatching uh, candy from the hands of babes. Uh, the reason that you would need this is that uh, you have learned from somewhere that power is composed of two things. And this, of course, is very relevant to the issue of the state which we all face as adults. Now, power is composed of two things, and power uh, is almost generally composed of, of these two things. So, the first thing that power is composed of is an ugly grab. And you can sort of term this whatever. I just call it an ugly grab. An ugly grab is, you know, stuff like taxation or snatching the, um, the money, uh, sorry, the money from a, a, you know, a kid or it's the, uh, the bully who takes your lunch money. <clears throat> or you who's taking your, you know, it's the big strong boy who's taking your tiny sister's uh, candy. So that's sort of the one aspect of power. It's the ugly grab. It's a naked brute force. Uh, there's the implication of violence always and forever in this kind of situation. And then there's the triumphant moralizing. <clears throat> so there's the uh, ugly grab followed by the triumphant moralizing. So what happens is you... Uh, you obviously know that it's a completely unfair contest and you're kind of, you're beating, you're a grown man beating up on a 10-year-old boy and calling yourself a tough fighter, right? So you know that it's a completely unfair contest for you uh, and your uh, sister to both be hunting for Easter eggs. And so you use your size and power to grab the candy from your helpless little sister or sisters perhaps it was both I think they were three and five years younger than you and then you have uh, the problem of how do you obscure from yourself and from others the fact that you have simply done a brute grab right that you have simply used your size and strength and power to steal uh, from somebody who's helpless and you have the problem of justifying that for yourself and if there's a way that you can create um, both a justification for yourself which gets you off the hook of just having brutalized a child and again that's a strong use of the term but obviously she experienced it and I bet you there was many more aspects to this than a mere Easter egg hunt so you have to uh, find a way to justify yourself and if you can find a way to both justify yourself and also to further humiliate and frustrate your victim, then you really have hit the, uh, the trifecta of power, right? So you uh, humiliate your victim uh, with a, a, a brute grab, and then you, you get to bypass your own humiliation by the triumphant moralizing or the justification. And if that justification can further then humiliate and frustrate your victim, that's the trifecta of power. It doesn't get any better than that for people who have a mild or not so mild sadistic streak. And so what occurs is you snatch the candy, and then 
you make up a rule that makes her not only uh, she, not only has she lost the candy, but she's also lost the game, right? So you make up this rule which says, well, it doesn't count till it's in your bag. Well, you know, how do you get to make up that rule? Why do you get to make up the rule? And I bet, you know, I bet since you're probably on the free market side of things, that you probably get quite frustrated when the government just makes up rules, right? You probably get quite frustrated. And you certainly would if you were, say, an importer, and then the government would just sort of uh, slap a 20% duty on your imports. You would probably get really frustrated and feel really hard done by it, and probably feel that, uh, you know, this was a, a horrible injustice uh, and feel perfectly self-righteous in, 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 uh, in the feeling of that and never connect it to the kind of arbitrary power that you also exercise and never feel like, well, you know, I, I can certainly understand what's, what's motivating the government. They get my candy, and also they get to tell me that I need to obey the law because the law is just and right and so on and so on. So you grab the candy, which humiliates your sister, and then you tell her that, well, it doesn't count because it wasn't in your basket, right? The fact that you simply... Right. So, I mean, if if you had uh, somebody uh, grab your wallet as you're at an, at an ATM and you're about to deposit, you know, ten thousand dollars of, of sweet hard cash and somebody grabs your wallet and runs off. Uh, obviously, you're shocked and appalled. And also um, uh, they then say, hey, it doesn't count because it wasn't actually in the bank account yet. It doesn't count because it wasn't in the bank yet. It wasn't in the ATM. Well, you'd obviously say, well, what the hell does that matter? It was in my hand, right? I, I, I earned the money, I grabbed it, and it's in my hand. So I own it, right? And, of course, this is uh, exactly the case with... Uh, and, of course, this guy is very hostile towards uh, communism and socialism, I guess, because he feels that it's an arbitrary uh, removal of property. And uh, I'm not sure that he necessarily makes the connection to his own prior behavior, that he should uh, be able to understand the desires of the state and of politicians. And, of course, he's going to say, well, I was only 10 and blah, blah, blah. And that's perfectly valid. That's perfectly fine. We'll get to that uh, a little bit later. So then, uh, and I bet you uh, when he's got all the candy and he's got this smug grin on his face, uh, or whatever, maybe he was more sophisticated, maybe it was less sophisticated, I don't know, but when he's got the triumph of having had all the candy and his sisters are in tears and he's got all the candy and he's climbed up a tree where they can't get to him and he's saying, mmm, mmm, my God, this is the best candy I ever tasted. Boy, if only you guys had worked a little bit harder to get the candy, you'd be enjoying it like I would, right? And then he'd say, okay, I'm going to give you guys some candy, and then he'd throw down some empty wrappers and, and he'd laugh. I mean, maybe this is too far. Maybe he's not that sadistic, but it certainly wouldn't shock me. And, again, this is with all sympathy. We'll, you know, you're, we'll get to your parents, right, who are the primary instigators of this kind of problem in a few minutes. But uh, So not only has he snatched their property, but he has made up a justification. Hey, you had every opportunity to get the candy. You had all the same opportunities to get the candy that I did. I just happen to get more because I'm smarter, better, stronger, whatever, right? Because, of course, if the gentleman realized that the only reason he got extra candy was because he was older, then uh, he would realize that it's not really his candy, right? Because if, if strength gives you more property, he has no right to object to the state, which I bet he does, right? If somebody came along and snatched his property uh, and said, well, I have a gun and you don't, and therefore I get the property because I'm more virtuous and better, 
and hey, we, it was an open fight. Well, it's like, but you had a gun, right? So, of course, if he says or believes that it was an open fight or an open contest to get the candy, despite the fact that he was, uh, and you know, the difference between five and ten when you're a kid is pretty considerable. And also the difference between uh, male and female in the realm of competition and so on is pretty considerable. And of course, the funny thing is that this guy then probably is going to spend his life railing against socialism and railing against the injustices of the state without realizing that his behavior as a child uh, has a pretty direct causality towards creating a social environment where a state uh, is, uh, be is fast becoming all-powerful, right? So he doesn't recognize that his own actions as a child contribute to that which he hates and fears as an adult, which is a desire for income redistribution because he was an arbitrary and dictatorial state when he was a child to his, uh, to his siblings. And therefore, they now have the desire for an intervention to equalize things out because they believe that in a state of nature or in a state of competition that the weak get screwed and stolen from and the strong are all powerful and that the parents try and, uh, try and come in. If this guy, and this is a lot to ask from a 10-year-old, though certainly very many 10-year-olds are capable of it, if this guy wants a free society, then he has to address the issues with his sister. If this guy wants a stateless society or wants even a minarchist or a diminishment of state power kind of society, then uh, he needs to address the factors which he sowed into the world around him, which only contribute to his enslavement as an adult. Right? This is an important thing to understand. Right? So as a child, uh, he had all the power, and his, uh, his uh, siblings, his, his uh, sisters were frustrated at their lack of power. And now um, uh, his sister, in, just in a political sense, right? his sister is perfectly comfortable and desirous of state intervention, which endlessly frustrates him and, and annoys him. So now she has all the power, and it's all completely reversed, that now he's getting frustrated by her. Uh, and of course, she also has the power over him because uh, obviously it tweaks him to be uh, to hear this uh, this Easter egg hunt story. So you know that which we sow, we reap, right? So it is a shame that he made this choice to be who he was when he was a child. And although his parents are primarily to blame, he still has. So at the age of ten, you can make a choice to defend, protect, and uh, and uh, give aid to the helpless rather than to rip them off, dance around, and call them weak for not competing. So the, uh, the interesting thing that occurs is that as an adult, he is uh, uh, continuing to humiliate her, right? So this, this uh, is a very hard addiction, right? The desire to humiliate people is a very, very hard addiction to, uh, to get rid of. It's a very, very hard addiction. Sadism is one of the most difficult things to uproot uh, sadism and narcissism uh, entitlement is one of the hardest things to uproot. I'm not saying he's entitled. I'm just talking about, and I'm not saying like he's the Marquis de Sade or you know, please understand me. I'm I'm talking about a fairly mild streak of sadism, but one that if you want a free society, you definitely need to address and undo, right? Because whenever you are cruel within society, uh, within to those around you, you um, you raise the need for a state in their mind, right? Especially when they're helpless, right? They look for a third party, all powerful protector to save them from, right? So whenever you're cruel to people, especially as children, as you grow up, they you get to play the role of capitalist, uh, you know, capitalist running dog, uh, evil capitalist guy, and they get to play the role of, uh, you know, the proletariat, and the parents get to play the role of the state, right? Everyone's always talking about their family when they're talking about politics, uh, when they're young, for sure. So whenever you're cruel to people, all you do, especially when you're a, 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 a it's a sibling situation, whenever you're cruel to people, what you do is 
you uh, you stimulate their hostility towards capitalism, right? Because in the world, right, uh, capitalists are considered to be siblings or schoolmates or whatever, and the uh, government is the parents or the teachers or whoever um, prevents the middle power from exploiting the weaker power, right? Because in families, there's the greatest power or the greater power, the parents. There's the middle power, the siblings, the older siblings. And then there's the, the lesser power, the least power, which is the younger or youngest siblings. And so this sort of uh, three-layer shortcake of uh, descending power uh, bases is uh, very powerful for people uh, in sort of their constellation of the world of politics, right? So in, uh, uh, as people get older, the way that they translate this political stuff into their family stuff is, of course, the greatest power, the parents, becomes the state. The middle power, the elder siblings or the elder classmates or whoever, the other children who are older than you but not adults yet, uh, they become the bosses, the capitalists, the so on and so on, not without, uh, not with the same direct power as the state, but blah, 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 blah. And, of course, the, uh, the employees, the, uh, uh, the proletariat, the waiters, the, uh, the students, whoever, they all become the youngest siblings, right? So this is how it all works. And um, uh, if you really want to change people's uh, minds about the state, you first have to understand how power structures uh, were constellated in their minds from their experiences with their family, right? This is, this is sort of 101 of libertarianism, 101 of the free domain radio approach for sure of, um, of inculcating freedom in people's minds. Is you have to understand how their view of the family, how their experience of their family has constellated their view of the state. So, of course, now we're going to talk very briefly because there's not really a lot of information. And if you'd like to post more information, I certainly would be happy to talk about it some more if you don't mind the conversation. I think it could be very helpful for you, and I certainly appreciate that it's not the easiest thing in the world and certainly uh, appreciate the fact that you've gotten this far. I think you have. Uh, so good for you, right? Good for you. But uh, the parents, of course, uh, we know that there's some comments about the arbitrariness, capriciousness, the, uh, uh, the bad and bizarre parenting that occurred. And so how did this person learn that what happens in, in, a, in a disparate power situation, right? Somebody has more power, somebody has less power. How did this gentleman learn that what, what occurs then is the grab and then the moralizing justification? Is the ugly grab followed by the moralizing justification, which justifies power and further humiliates uh, the, uh, the weaker person? Well, he learned that from his parents, right? And, of course, he learned it from the school and so on, too, but he learned it from his parents. So I absolutely guarantee you that uh, at least one of the parents has a cruel streak. And that cruel streak is probably uh, more to do with indifference than it is to do with anything else. There is a kind of setup here, too, right? The mom uh, in the story here who's trying to sort of help the daughter could very easily help the daughter, right? I mean, that would be so simple. I mean, if, if somehow magically these children were transported at this age to my care, it would be a relatively simple matter to solve this uh, this issue, right? So uh, all you would do is you would segregate the children by age for the Easter hunt, right? So for the 10-year-old boy and his friends, you would make it an even competition, and you would then uh, ensure that uh, only 10-year-olds, no, sort of 9-year-olds to 12-year-olds or whatever were in the Easter hunt for the elder children, right? And then you would have an Easter hunt for the younger children. This is not brain surgery, folks. This is not, you know, uh, figuring out the metaphysics of Leibniz. Right? This is all pretty simple stuff. I mean, uh, everyone can figure this out ooh, relatively, uh, relatively easily. 
And, uh, of course, the mom didn't do that, right? So the mom obviously had a stake in humiliating the children, right? The, the mom had a stake in humiliating the youngest daughter uh, because coaching her uh, and, and uh, pointing out all of the candy when she damn well knows that the son, if the son can figure it out, the mom can figure it out, right? I don't think that the mom's sort of retarded here and the son is brilliant. Uh, I think the son is brilliant and the mom is brilliant too because he's obviously an excellent writer. But um, uh, So obviously the mom is replaying some sort of uh, a horrible uh, role wherein, uh, you know, the youngest gets screwed, right? Because this is really what a lot of families are all about, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mere brutal dictatorial power grab situation followed by pompous moralizing. That's, I mean, that's, that's families. Uh, it's almost in the DNA of the species by now. Uh, it's not something that can't be undone, but uh, it's definitely rooted in, in, our, uh, in our experiences. So that would be pretty easy. Now, if the, um, uh, if the youngest kid... Uh, sorry, if the 10-year-old boy still had problems with empathy, sort of if he was in my care, then it would also be a relatively simple, though not necessarily pleasant thing to do to solve, to solve the issue. So, you know, you talk about it, try and get him to understand the, the empathy and so on. But uh, all that would happen uh, if, if this were the case, right, is that uh, I would simply, uh, you know, get a bunch of 15-year-old kids over and have the 10-year-old kid involved with the 15-year-old kids with an Easter hunt. And I would tell them, to just, you know, they could grab the candy from his hand or whatever, right? I mean, I would, I would impose upon him the same rules that he inflicted upon others uh, as a sort of last-ditch attempt to get uh, the kid to, uh, to empathize, if all reasoning and all sort of stuff, you know, had, and I don't think that would be necessary, and maybe I wouldn't go as far as saying, no, I w you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as saying you can snatch the candy from his hand because that would be uh, a potentially uh, escalating kind of situation. But I would definitely say, yeah, you guys can run around and get all the candy you want, and uh, um, I might actually give them some hints as to where the candy was, and they would get all the candy, and this kid would be in tears. And, you know, you would say, look, this is exactly what you've been doing, and I hated to do this, but it's important so that you understand how your sisters feel, right? And then, of course, he would at least have a choice, and the choice would be either to reassert his power by going to bully his sisters or uh, to actually empathize and, and to apologize, right? Which would be at least a shot uh, that he could have in that situation. So now, of course, we get to the problem uh, of adulthood, right, wherein the lesson still hasn't been learned about the need to empathize with the helpless, right? The lesson still has not been learned. So what happens now is a more sophisticated and subtle kind of ugly grab that is occurring between this fine gentleman and his sister, right? So his sister obviously has a significant amount of, of emotional scarring, and it's coalescing around this issue, and there are probably many other issues, but it's definitely coalescing around this issue uh, with regards to... Um, uh, to uh, to bullying from uh, the the parents and from the elder uh, sibling. Now, it seems quite likely to me that the sister of this guy is displacing her hostility and fear and anger towards her parents. She's displacing it to to this guy, right? So the injustice that these children primarily faced was not from the, the especially the, the sisters, right? The injustice that uh, she faces or faced as a child is not uh, something that uh, came from the parents, but rather... Uh, sorry, <laughs> excuse me. I Let me concentrate in just a moment. I'm just trying to figure out um, how to get into this lane. Okay, there we go. Sorry, the injustice that the sisters faced was from the parents, not primarily from the 10-year-old um, the, uh, the boy. Right? The 10-year-old boy is, uh, to, to a very large degree, an effect of the callousness and cruelty and sadism of one or both family uh, parents, right? So what's happening is that it's a lot safer to get angry at your elder sibling uh, than it is to get angry emotionally, than it is to get angry at your parents. So 
uh, for sure, the sisters are displacing their the, the real hostility that everyone should be feeling, which is towards the parents. They're displacing it and to some degree wasting that sense of justice and need for, for, um, uh, for that kind of stuff. They're sort of doing it with regards to the siblings rather than the parents, which to me is a huge waste of energy. Now, I can also guarantee you that this guy feels enormously guilty for what he did, right? I guarantee you deep down, deep down in the core of his very soul, his true self is writhing in a shame of agony, in an agony of shame uh, for what he has done in the past. I know this for an absolute fact. I have seen it more than once with people who have this kind of dismissive um, uh, approach to the scar tissue left over from the people that they hurt when they had all the power. Uh, absolutely guarantee you, no question at all. You can't torture and steal from the helpless and feel like a good and happy and secure and fine and wonderful human being. You can't have any self-love, right? You can't have any more empathy for yourself than you have to the weakest around you. You can't have any more empathy and love for yourself than you have for the weakest around you. This is, this is the grave danger that we face. And I do have a great deal of empathy for the poor and for the helpless in society, which is why I want to get rid of the government, right? So you can't have any more love for yourself than you have displayed and currently display in your life to those who are the weakest around you. Right. So because, of course, we all started off weak ourselves. We all have that sort of history, that inner child and so on. And if we don't have empathy for others who are weak, we can never have empathy for ourselves when we were weak. And, of course, that's the primary reason for sadism is to uh, to uh, it's an attempt to overpower and to master feelings of intense helplessness and 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 uh, uh, being on the receiving end of brutal treatment in one form or another, verbal or physical or sexual abuse. So when you have experienced helplessness uh, as a, a state of agony, then uh, you uh, must then recreate the infliction of that agony if you won't accept an, uh, those feelings, which, of course, very few people can. If you won't accept those feelings of helplessness uh, and agony uh, and being brutalized by power, then you must normalize the brutalization of that power and also you attempt to overpower. You project your own helplessness onto other people and then you torture it. Right, so because the uh, the only other possibility is that you actually feel it, which would be very painful uh, and liberating, and would re result in an enormous amount of kindness and sympathy. So, uh, you know, this is a typical pattern that goes on with kids, right? Where one kid will uh, abuse another kid and then call that other kid weak for being upset, right? This is a very standard kind of situation, and it's not just in kid kidhood; it goes all the way through life. But this is the most obvious sort of examples that. You, uh, you taunt and tease or, or abuse a kid who then gets upset, and then you call that kid weak for being upset. This is, you know, this is 101 of, uh, of the sadism school of self-destruction, right? Because the, the awful thing about uh, sadism uh, is that sa the sadist always loses, the masochist always wins, right? Uh, the person who's on the receiving end, right, is far better to suffer harm than to do harm. So the person who's on the receiving end of the harm will always, always survive emotionally, Whereas the person who inflicts the harm, uh, unless they really go back and clear up the mess, uh, does not survive uh, emotionally, right, spiritually. Um, so, because, of course, the person who's receiving harm is in a closer, more approximately parallel situation to the original source of the problem, which was the harm inflicted on the children by the parents and by other authority figures. So now, as an adult... Uh, he's calling her um, a communist, uh, which obviously is a great insult. He might as well call her a Nazi. Uh, he is—he has contempt uh, for her inability to process 
what happened as children, while of course he, by expressing his contempt, has proven his own inability to process what he did as a child. So uh, there's a lot of projection going on here. There's a lot of uh, continuing humiliation, right? So uh, she, uh, I don't even remember it, he says, right? I can't believe she still remembers it. But of course, he remembers every single detail. And he shows that in his letter. It's kind of funny, right? Like, I mean, it's a very obvious uh, plea for correction, right? I wouldn't say cry for help. That's a bit too uh, cliched. But it's definitely a plea for correction when he says, well, I don't even remember it, and then goes into exquisite detail about all of his strategies and methodologies for getting the candy, watching the mom, and this kind of stuff. So obviously, he remembers it in enormous detail. But this is a very common thing that occurs when you wish to humiliate someone, uh, is you will say, when they bring up something about the past, you will say, I don't remember that at all. In other words, it was so insignificant for me, and so significant for you, that you must be obsessed about something, and I've moved on and I'm past it and I, you know, I don't even care about it because I'm so, uh, you know, I, I've integrated it all and I don't, you know, blah, 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 right? So it makes the other person feel very, very small when they bring up something that's very upsetting to them and somebody else doesn't even remember it, right? Um, I mean, if you had some wonderful date with a woman and then you meet her five years later uh, and, or maybe even a short relationship with her that was the best thing ever and you meet her five years later, she doesn't even remember the relationship, how would that make you feel, right? Kind of crushed and humiliated, right? So... This is another strategy by which people um, uh, humiliate others, um, uh, calling her obsessed with justice, uh, you know, calling her a communist, calling her a little dictator, uh, calling her somebody who's contributing to the statism in the world as if he didn't, right? She was the victim, remember, my friend, right? If anyone's contributing to statism in the world, um, frankly, it's not her, it's you. And even more fundamentally, it's your parents, right? So. So anyway, I hope that this is uh, helpful. It's a very, very important uh, post. I really do respect um, the person for posting it. Um, I do also think that, um, you know, I put a lot of, um, uh, you know, functional responsibility on people. Uh, this guy's obviously listened to my podcast. He knows that uh, I try to look very deeply into the crystal ball of family. And he posted this uh, with lots of contradictory information. He knows that... Um, uh, I have great sympathy for uh, the weakest within a family, and that's where I get my anarcho-capitalism from. And so, uh, obviously, he put this in uh, as a plea for correction, right? He absolutely, he offered this thing to me so that his true self, right, his false self crafted the letter, his true self made him post it, right? And the true self put enough stuff in there that uh, my true self could reach in and help, right? So, you know, calling out to your basic true self, my friend, uh, you absolutely want to go back and clean this up and apologize and feel empathy for yourself, uh, for your sisters, the hostility towards your parents. Uh, you need to stop dealing with politics for a while and start dealing with family so that you can clean up your politics and really start to work to make the world a more peaceful place. And the way to make the world a stateless society is to reduce the fear and frustration of the people around you, right? Because when people feel a lot of fear and anger and frustration, they inevitably gravitate towards the state as a mechanism by which that can be alleviated or mediated, and if they feel afraid of people, they'll look to the government to attempt to uh, reduce those fears. Of course, what happens is um, they end up with a government that is going to, in the long run, vastly increase their fears, but that's the great temptation that occurs. So I appreciate the post. I think I do understand what it was really for, which was not to convince everyone that the sister's a communist but or has those tendencies, but rather to, uh, to save yourself. Uh, from your false self. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you people with the not so much donating, I would really appreciate it if you throw a few shekels my way. But thank you so much to the gentleman who signed up uh, for the um, for the subscriptions. Thank you so much. Bye.